You have your Bibles out? I'm not asking you that because we're going to be in Acts 17, although we are, and we're going to be looking at those verses and specifically what they teach us about the story of God. But I'm asking, you have your Bibles out because what we want to accomplish in this series is not just looking at particular texts, although we will do that. It is not that we just want you to have a greater understanding of the Bible, although we want you to have that. It is not that you would find the Bible more reliable and trustworthy and you would build your life upon that, which we want that. But we want you to kind of see that there is one unified story throughout all of the scripture that points to and leads us to the person of Jesus Christ. So what is the Bible? First of all, we could say this, the Bible is true. The Bible is true, which means that we can rely on it, that we can consider it to be a reliable testimony about who God is and who we are and the amazing difference between the two. And so when we talk about the Bible being true, sometimes we can kind of give just a quick nod to it. Yeah, no, no, I know what you're saying. Yeah, 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 no, I I get it, I get it. One of my favorite places to travel in the world is Israel. And we go there pretty regularly, almost every two years, if there isn't COVID. And I love having an opportunity to stand around and to look at places. And if you've ever been to Israel, one of the questions that you just ask, especially on your first time or your eighth time, you you love to say, like, was it here? Is, Is this where it happened? Was it right here? Was, was Jesus here? Was Moses here? Was Abraham here? Was David here? By the way, Moses wasn't anywhere. That was a test, right? He didn't make it in. Remember that? He didn't make it in. Okay, but you want to know, was it here? Was it here? And it matters. It actually matters. There, there are people who look at the Bible and they say, you know what? Listen, it's, it's true, but it's, it's true kind of like every great fable or every great story. It's true like that. It's true how it brings meaning and hope and purpose. In the end, it's not true. It's generically true. It's inspirational. I get it. I understand and I know what they're saying, except it just doesn't seem to work like that. It seems like there's a difference between is this a really, really, really cool story? And I'm not just talking about like stories about like the Easter Bunny or stories about Hansel and Gretel, I, I, even great stories. The Fellowship of the Ring. It's a great story. And it teaches about endurance. It teaches about friendship. It teaches about being noble. It teaches about brokenness. And it teaches us wonderful, wonderful life lessons that I have to try to figure out how to apply them to my life and how I can be a little bit more like Aragorn or how I can be a little bit more like Frodo. I think he's the little one. But in the end, it's not the same thing. Question, do you treat this book like it's true? And, and by that I mean helpful. Yeah, it's, it's, it's helpful. It really does. It teaches me how to deal with my fears. It teaches me how to deal with my concerns. It teaches me how to be a nicer person. Like, the Bible is true like that. I'm saying it is, but it is so much more. 
That is why one of our greatest desires from this series is that you would see the unified story of God from cover to cover and that you would know it is true and not like Lord of the Rings true, but it actually happened. God reached down into time, into our world, and has acted, has revealed himself. And therefore, it, it takes the level of engagement, it takes the level of seriousness that we need to bring to it, the level of meaning that comes from it, and it is far more transformative. Because it's not offering suggestions, it is providing insight, it's, it's true. And that's why I would encourage you and I would challenge you to listen differently when you hear the word of God read or explained. That you don't just read it with some kind of level of open mind, like you want to weigh the information that is being given, although yeah, that's part of it, but more than that, that your heart is opened. That you're willing to engage the reality of God's word like completely with who you are. That is what we believe here at Sunnybrook and we deeply desire to invite you into that level of engagement, that level of interaction, that level of transformation because we believe the Bible to be true. I don't know how many of you dropped off at Itty Bitty over at what we call the tree house, which is where the most little are, and then elevate, which is where the next level of little are, or maybe you dropped someone off down the junior high, high school, maybe um, you're a college student, and so you're in here today, but we have a college Sunday school class if you want to join that, and, but it doesn't matter where you are in Treehouse tree or Elevate or whether or not you're in a Sunday school class or whether or not you're here. As we talk about the word of God, we are going to say, here is the story, here is what God has revealed, here is how he has revealed it to us, it is in his word, that word is true. And, and then, by the way, there are going to be hear me, there are going to be morals that we're going to learn from specific encounters. And we're going to be looking at the great themes, the great stories that come from the Bible. But we're not just giving, um, not, not just disconnected stories that have a take-home point, an applicational point. Again, although that is true, but there is more, and we want to invite you in for more. We, we would actually even argue that, that that kind of approach towards the Bible, which is to look at a story and then to, to learn something from it and to try to apply it to your life when it's not connected to the bigger story, all it can lead to, which isn't bad, but all it can lead to is a life that, that maybe has some improvement in it, but still isn't connecting. Not, not the way God wants it to connect. Not the way God has designed you to connect. Not, not the kind of way where, where you're actually engaging the reality of the greatness of God. In the end, if, if what you remember or what you even hear on a regular basis is Moses is a picture of you know, just somebody that can be really gifted and used in their old age. So for those of you that are over the age of 80, well, Moses actually started his ministry at 80, welcome. And, and now you look at Moses' life and you try to glean from it some information. 
And David is gonna help you kind of tackle your giants. Have you heard this kind of preaching? Daniel's gonna teach you how to pray because I don't know if you know this, but prayer works. Actually, the Bible teaches that prayer by itself, when it is disconnected from the living God, doesn't do anything. It is God who lives and acts and moves. It is God who has designed all of these things. So the invitation from this series is for us to see God the way that the Apostle Paul presents God. In Acts chapter 17, if you get a little bit of the background, the text that Nick actually read to us is the story of the Apostle Paul walking into um, a collection of very intelligent, very engaged philosophers and teachers in the great city of Athens. These are people who, who know life, or at least they think they know life, who, who know how life works, at least they think they know how life works. The Apostle Paul walks into this room a very well educated, highly functioning, capable, gifted people like you. And he basically says, I know that you think you understand a lot of things, but I just wanna present to you the reality and the truth about God for your consideration. And then he paints a very interesting picture of God. And we thought as we unpack this story from Genesis chapter one, where God creates and puts his prize of his creation, Adam and Eve, in the garden and gives them a tree to help order and shape their lives. In Revelation chapter 22, I don't know if you've noticed this, but in Revelation chapter 22, there is a new heaven and a new earth. And in this beautiful place that God has recreated from the old, there is a tree. And that tree produces fruit um, at an alarming rate. And it is provided for the health and for the healing of all creation. And over the next few weeks till about the, the, uh, the end of November, we're gonna be studying the story between these two trees. The story of God, about how he has intentionally revealed himself, and, and that is why we are not here to discuss principles of life as much as we are to describe, to engage, to arrange ourselves under, to submit to the truth about the very real God who created the world. Because in Athens, just like in Stillwater, there is a group of very intelligent, capable, gifted people who think they have it, for the most part, figured out. Not that there isn't something that you could learn, but for the most part, let's be honest, this is where you don't nod or raise your hand, but you pretty much got it figured out, right? So you're just looking to kind of tweak some things. That's the majority of us here to kind of tweak some things. And the Apostle Paul says, like, I'm here to make known to you the reality, the truth about God is, who God is. Here, here's the overarching understanding of God from the Bible. The story of God is essentially the revelation of the creative, 
and the redemptive work of God. The creative and the redemptive work of God. There is something in the Bible known as the meta-narrative, the great story of God, and it begins with creation. And we'll unpack that more next week. The God who created all things. The one who created. But, but then this, this creation and this design is actually intended for something. And there is a brokenness that is going to exist, and we'll talk about that. And therefore, what God has done is not just created and left alone, but God is in constant, continual engagement with his creation. I know it might seem like in your life that you are just walking through, that you are just coasting through. But the Bible says that God is aware and he knows and he cares and he is moving and he is active. He is very, very real. And therefore to treat him as though he's not. And hear me, it's, it's not just disrespectful. What we would argue here is that it doesn't actually match reality. The redemptive work of God is happening in and around your life right now. And that is why we don't just casually say we don't believe in coincidences. No, no, no. What you and I are going to do is that we are going to trace through the Bible the creative, the recreative, and the redemptive, and the restorative work of God so that then you and I can go back into our lives and we can see how he's doing the same things. How he has made us and how he is redeeming and restoring us. First of all, if you look at our text beginning in verse 24, here is what Paul makes very, very clear. And, and, and by the way, he begins actually by making this comment. As I walked into this place that has a number of different idols, obviously I can tell, he says, that you are very religious people. I, I can just tell by, by looking around that, that you're searching for something, that you're looking for something, and you actually believe that, that somehow you are able to, or you have the insight and you are capable of trying to discern what is going on around you. That you think that you by yourself or a group of you collectively can somehow muster your intelligence, your thinking, your goodness, your cultural values, this is what world religions do, is they take a look at the world around them and they try to, they wonder and they try to guess, I wonder where all of this came from. And the story of God, at its, at its very, very core, is revelation. It comes down to us. It is God out of his goodness and out of his kindness saying, you don't have to try to guess who I am. You really don't have to try to guess where this comes from and you don't have to try to guess like where we're going. You'll never have to guess like how to please me and you'll never have to wonder if I actually love you and care about you. Every step of the way, I will make myself known to you. That's what we mean that the Bible is true. And so the Apostle Paul says, 
And this is so not, by the way, it's never culturally appropriate to say this. The Apostle Paul says to these Athenian philosophers, you're wrong. You're wrong. Like you don't know the truth. And I'm here, and I'm not trying to say it with arrogance, but the Lord has made himself known to us. And I'm here to give you that insight. Boy, again, that just sounds so, oh, arrogant. Unless it's true. It sounds so presumptuous. Paul, you think you know? And by the way, the Apostle Paul doesn't say yes, because I figured it out. What does he say? What does the Bible say? Yes, for God has chosen to reveal himself, to make himself known. So can I say something to you? As we study through the story of God, we are not sharing this information with you because we are smart or we are good or somehow on our own we have figured it out. We're sharing this story with you because God has revealed himself. And that's what Paul says right here. Look at verse 24. The God who made the world. That's a specific God. The God who made the world. And and by the way, sometimes we want to just kind of focus at the made the world part, but it's actually the God part that Paul's interested in. Because Paul wants them to see that the the world was not made by random choice and it was not made by a collection of competing gods. And and, and by the way, you you can even check this out. There have been so many stories that are told about the creation of the world. I mean, before there was ever evolution and and our view of science, science has actually been around from the beginning, but our modern view of science, we're not the first ones to begin to postulate or wonder or to try to figure out where the world came from. No, whether it was Moses' world in Egypt that had an understanding about how the Egyptians' God created the world, or whether or not it was Daniel standing in Babylon and dealing with the way that the Babylonians thought their God made the world, it doesn't matter. The Bible speaks clearly that there was a God who made the world and it is that God that we seek to know, it is that God that we desire to understand. It is that God that has made us for a reason and for a purpose. Paul says, the God who made the world and everything in it, he is the Lord of heaven and of the earth. He is the one that made all of that which is above and all of that which is below, which is what we see in Genesis all the way to Revelation. Everything that exists is created by this God. One of the most important things to remember throughout this series, but I think in your life, is just the unique, uniqueness. It's it's called holy, but sometimes we just kind of go, ooh, you know, holy, like spiritual, and that's part of it, but you know what the word holy just means? Just other. I I heard it described this way, that if you and I were to try to write down everything that exists in the, in the universe, everything that exists on earth and, and in the farthest heavens, and we were to just start making a list of absolutely everything, and, and we, we got to the end of it. We literally got to the end of it. Wow, that's a long list. That's a lot of stuff. And then finally, you just stop for a moment, and you just say, wow, 
You know, you know what we forgot, though? We forgot God. And then you take your pen out and you go to write it, right? The last thing, most important thing, but the last thing on the list. No, 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 wait, 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 you need to stop. That's another list. It's not the same thing. It's other. It's holy. God is the one that made everything, and therefore he is the Lord of all of it. He is completely other. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. And and by the way, just so you know who that God really is, he does not live in shrines made by hands. Imagine how shocking this would be to an ancient world that would make temples and would think that somehow their God might be in some way confined by or impressed by the shrines that were made. He continues in verse 25, neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives everything life and breath and all things. One of the most amazing and repeated stories of the Bible is the greatness of God that keeps him incredibly close to us, loving and engaged, interactive, and yet never dependent upon us. An invitation that is constant. But in the end, God, the God of the Bible, the one that we will learn about in this story together from now to November, really doesn't need you. And at first, when I think people hear that, they think, what? No, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm special. I'm important. Hey, hear me. Like I'm not saying I'm all important, or I'm that important, but what do you mean God doesn't need me? What do you mean that God doesn't somehow need me, or my worship, or my attention? The answer is this. Your worth and your value to God is utterly and completely gift from him out of his goodness. It makes the invitation for us to know God and to join God that much greater, that much more powerful to realize that God is not in heaven waiting on pins and needles hoping that you'll like him. He's not trying to use you or to manipulate you in any way so that he can feel better about himself. But instead, he is the greatest and the most free of all beings and is able and capable to love you perfectly and freely. That God, not because of anything lacking in himself, but from the overflow of the fullness of himself, desires for you to know him and to worship him. At the end of this service, we'll take up an offering and it's not because he needs it. For God owns everything. And for those of us that love him and for those of us that appreciate him and for those of us who want to engage with God in his mission in the world, we participate with him freely from that, knowing every time we give that God doesn't need this. And yet, wow, what a privilege it is for us to give. 
It is why we will never focus our attention on making great shrines to him. Why? Because God made it very clear the first time they ever made a tent and then turned it into a temple. And we'll see these images come upon this scene as we reconstruct the story from Genesis to Revelation. God makes it very, very clear. This incredible house that you built for me cannot contain me. And even though I chose to dwell there, I do so out of the overabundant goodness of my heart. I will come and I will dwell with you. But then God warns, please, never, never let this place become the, the centerpiece of our relationship. Never let this place, this temple, for I'm greater than that. Truly, the, the revelation of who God is from Genesis to Revelation is countercultural in every age. As patriarch, priest, and prophet, eventually apostle reveals who God is, they all make it clear. This God, Yahweh is his name, made the world, created it all and he did so freely. Look at verse 26. And from one man he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth. You see in this picture that God has made from Adam and Eve all nations. And then he says, and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. I remember one of the first times I really read this text like really read it, and I began to realize, wow, um, so I didn't accidentally end up, for those of you that don't know, I'm Canadian. My ongoing and consistent apologies, by the way. Um, <laughs> but I didn't, I'm not from there accidentally. Um, or or I'm, I'm not, you know, for those of us, well, I'm, just, I'm, I'm blessed to be born in this country, sure, I guess blessed in the sense that God has done this, or boy, I sure am glad that I was raised by my parents, and I sure am glad that I was born during this time, or I sure am, and some of us will even want to use the word lucky, and the Bible doesn't have that kind of uh, randomness describing things. No, what, what God is doing in his creative work is he is intentionally moving and acting and bringing and sending and going. I, I think that just fundamentally changes how we look at our lives. That I wasn't accidentally born in my family. I wasn't accidentally born in 1968. I didn't just happen to move to the United States in 1991. We didn't just happen to have three children. I didn't accidentally move to Stillwater, Oklahoma. And as much as my wife and I have enjoyed the invitation to be a part of this church, we are not here by accident. And by the way, this morning, neither are you. But the creative work of God is very intentional in every step, in every move, in every change, in every relationship. And, and hear me, that might be too 
much for you and I to get our heads around. But I would say to look at your life as a series of random events held together by luck and chance is just not biblical. And you never read the Bible and see random chances. No, you see one consistent, unified message of the story of God that leads us directly to God himself and the person of Jesus Christ. That is why I love thinking about the creative work of God is not just that he is creator, but he is incredibly creative about how he has brought us here. Is he not? He takes creative to a whole new level. As he is making for himself a new people out of every nationality, out of every group of people in the world, you and I worship this morning this great God who made all things with brothers and sisters around the world. That is the creative, intentional work of God. And therefore, as we walk through this series, can I just state and encourage you to reflect upon that God creates with a purpose. That God created you with a purpose. That you're not an accident. And I'm not just trying to make you feel better about yourself. I'm stating deep theological truth. You are not an accident. You are not here by accident. You are not in the relationships that you're in by accident. And in some amazing way, your story and your life is as much a part of this story as the Bible reveals. Have you ever thought about yourself like that? That the way that you respond, the way that you deal with difficulties, the way that you walk through your marriage, the way that you take on responsibilities and places of ministry and work is all designed by the creative work of our great creator. And therefore, as you hear the story and God unfold, I hope that you see the story of you and the invitation of you as a part of and as an extension of that story. Well, the second thing that you'll actually see as we walk through the story of God is not only does he create and organize things, but he organizes things not just for self-actualization. That's why you need to be aware of the people around you. You need to be aware of the, the times around you, the circumstances around you, the difficult circumstances around you. How many of you have woke up? By the way, it's all of us, so let's, we, just, we don't have to raise our hands when it's all of us. How many of you in the last few days or weeks have just been rather frustrated about the time in which we live? Uh, right? Have you had a uh? Yeah. And by the way, it might be a specific circumstance that you're going through. Or it might be a collective thing that you're going through. And, and Paul says to these Athenian people who have it all figured out, he says, listen, like, I just want you to know that God has arranged all of these things. 
And he has moved all of these things, but he's done so for a reason. Look at verse 27. This is what he says. All the nationalities, the times, the boundaries in which you live. The Apostle Paul then goes one step further and he says this in verse 27. He, that is God, did this so that they, and we are that they, that they might seek God. And perhaps they might reach out and find him. That the reason why God has arranged time and circumstances and historical events is to teach us of our ongoing and continual dependence upon him. Now you can find another way to interpret the circumstances of your life, but the Bible teaches, and Paul expressly states here, that all of these things have happened so that you might recognize that you need him. You might be trying to fill that need with something else. You might be trying to explain that purpose with something else. But Paul says that's not the way that God designed it. That the meaning that you are looking for and the hole that you are trying to fill, God is moving all of those things together so that you would recognize your limits, your weaknesses, your brokenness. Ultimately, just the brevity of life, the shortness of life. Why? So that you might reach out to him. Look at what he says. So that you might reach out to him and find him. And then Paul quickly adds, though he is not far from each one of us. That reaching out to God might seem like a million miles away. That God might seem like he is just a million miles away. That God would seem so distant from you. But the Apostle Paul makes it very clear. He is not far from each one of us. He never has been. He has brought us to this place so that we would know who he is. So that we would find him. Because in his goodness, he has dared to make himself known. Verse 28, for in him we live and we move and we have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Here the apostle Paul is quoting a famous Greek philosopher who was able to, in his limited understanding, recognize there is just something unique about who we are. For we are his offspring. And then he says in verse 29, since then we are God's offspring. We shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image fashioned by human art or imagination. To a modern audience, we shouldn't just think that God is some divine principle that wants us to live like a better life or even our best life now. No. We should recognize that the creative work of God has brought us together for a purpose. And the redemptive work of God is completing what we are lacking and what we are so desperately seeking. God creates us with a purpose that we might know him and respond to him. And then the Bible makes it very clear God redeems us by design. And, and that is why every week as we tell the story of God, and it doesn't matter if we begin in Genesis 1 and 2 or Genesis 3 through 9, it doesn't matter if we're standing on a mountain walking up alongside Abraham and Isaac as he begins to sacrifice, that's really not what's happening here. He is leading us to something more. There is a design that all of these things are making known. 
It is the story of God that reveals him as our creator and our redeemer, and it is the unified story of the Bible that leads us directly to Jesus so that we might find wholeness, and therefore, each and every week, I pray that you hear an invitation to you, especially if you do not know him. And and when I say know him, I don't mean know about him, but I mean know him. Every week we will be offering an invitation for you to know him, for you to put your faith in him, for you to trust him, for you to engage the goodness of God through the goodness of God, the one that he sent, his only son Jesus, who died in your place for your sins, for our sins, and has issued an invitation so that we might be part of a new people who've been given an incredible joy to know God and to respond to him in worship and in mission and in purpose and to share the good news of God to a world around us so that they might find the wholeness that we have found in Jesus. And therefore, listen carefully to the story as it unfolds before us. See the truth about who God is. Find your place in the story. And enjoy worshiping him there. The greatest picture of all of this is obviously found at the cross. So every week, we will continue to remember. Again, there is, there stands kind of at the center of the Bible, this, this cross, this picture of God at his best which is why the Bible teaches very, very clearly that Jesus was with God in the beginning and that everything was made by him and for him for without Jesus, nothing was made. Jesus says to his followers, if you've seen me, you've actually seen the Father. You know the goodness and the greatness of God. And then Jesus offers himself to us. So for those of you who are followers of Jesus, I I pray that if you do have the cup this morning, If you do have the bread and the cup this morning, I pray that we would remember the unified story of God represented in the person of Jesus. Where we stop and we give thanks for all that he is because he took the bread on the night that he was betrayed and he broke it. And out of his kindness, he offered it to his disciples. This is the story of God. That he made you and desires to be restored to you. And I am the one, the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me, and take this, this is me. And for those of us that know that truth this morning, we remember and we eat. And for those of us that know that story this morning, we remember and we drink.